Anyang Haseyo, welcome to Afternoon of Delight for Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some tech bokey and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. So I was just telling a little bit of a story before the podcast, and I didn't even finish it because my mind's a little blown. So today's Wednesday. We record on Wednesdays. And I was telling Amy and Leah that my car was due for an inspection appointment on Monday. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm getting my car inspected. And they have no idea what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) So is this just a Pennsylvania thing that you have to explain? Explain to listeners what it means to have your car inspected. Right. This is what's so annoying about the United States of America is that (laughs) we never know what's going on in other states. So your car has to be inspected every year. And it's basically an inspection to make sure your car is operating properly. So I guess it's to prevent cars being on the road that are hazards. So they check your tires, your brakes, all your lights, your windshield wipers, all those, you know, all the belts and things in your car. And there's a certain level of things that are okay or they fail inspection. So sometimes your brakes can be so old that they will fail inspection. In order for your car to pass inspection, you have to then get your brakes replaced or your tires or something like that. And it has to be done every year. <laughs> and and, the, and the, <laughs> so you guys don't have anything like that. Well, Amy, yeah. in Illinois, what do you have to do with your car? So in Illinois, every other year... <laughs> You have to go for an emissions test. And that just means you drive through an emissions station and they check what your car emits and make sure that it's at a level that is not considered dangerous to the environment. And then you are on your way, whether you have good brakes or not. So there's just a bunch of like bad cars driving around your state? Like this is blowing my mind. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So So, wait, okay, where where do you take it for the inspection? You take it to a repair shop. Okay, but then can they say, well, you need brakes. Buy yeah. brakes from us. You need, so, hmm, I mean, that's like a bit of a racket. That seems like a bit of a racket. Yeah, I mean, you could, like go, you could go somewhere else to get your brakes fixed if you want, but they're not going to give you the inspection sticker to pass. And it's illegal to drive around without a proper inspection sticker, which I will also say, so, I mean, my house just is like a three-ring circus on like a good day. And so Neil looked out the window the other day at our car in the driveway and he said, you need to get your car inspected. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, look, look on the stickers. It's not due for an inspection till November. And he goes, yeah, last November. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so you have until like the end of the month then. So I would have had until the end of last November to get my car inspected. And I just didn't even so, know. So, okay. During but, this pandemic. So anyway, I had to go now. Going back to what Amy said, yeah. it, what protections are in place where you just show up and the mechanics are like, look, I mean, like this, these brakes probably could honestly last like three years, but like whatever, they need to be replaced. Wait, what do how you do you know? Like, how do you, like, how do you like, know that the mechanic, they're not right. you know that you? <laughs> Oh, well, they, they probably are half the time. <laughs> you don't have any protection. So this is like a mechanics, <laughs> car mechanic lobby in Pennsylvania has passed this law. Probably. <laughs> yeah, because California, we get smog checks every other year if your car is more than eight years old. I mean, we get emissions too. That's like part of the inspection. But yeah, that's it's every it's every year. We have to register it too. Do you, you have to register your cars, right? Like a proper. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, every year and you get a big sticker on your car that has the month and the year. So right now, yeah, mine, we have that. Mine only Ours isn't giant. It just goes on our license plate. Oh, oh, that's well, that I'm, I'm talking for the inspection. That's oh, big okay. and goes on your windshield. So it's nothing. Neil's like, how has like a cop not stopped you? And I was like, well, it's a pandemic. I haven't been driving anywhere. Okay, but just... cops now, if you're listening. <laughs> Megan's driving around with a totally expired inspection stickers. Well, not now, but anyway. So, okay, this is something interesting. I just pulled up states that require periodic inspection by licensed inspection stations. And Illinois comes up on the list. But that's emissions. But that's no, just emissions. Is periodic inspections. This is not admissions. So Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Louisiana, Maine, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island. What kind of inspections? Because I have no idea. I just Googled it really fast. I've never done any such thing. That's oh, not so, very many states that require so, it. Why do I so live if the here? internet says it. <laughs> Why do I live here? Gosh, Pennsylvania is so annoying. And we can't get alcohol properly. My God. You're not even really a state, right? You're a commonwealth. Well, yeah, but I mean, I don't really know what that means, but I just think it's, it's the funny. same. I know. We, I know. We technically are a commonwealth. It, it feels very extra. It's stupid. <laughs> I, but yeah. So anyway, my whole point was that they were supposed to get it. They were supposed to do it on Monday. And I called. I've been going to this place for like 13 years. So I actually like know the one guy. But I called today. Today's Wednesday. And I was like, uh, yeah, like I'm the owner of the Chevy Traverse that's just like sitting in your parking lot. And the guy just goes, oh, it was like. <laughs> like knew i i don't know if they were like fearing the time i would call i mean i wasn't i was just and then and then he starts just babbling he's like nervous he probably thinks i'm gonna like go off the rails on him and i was like if finally i just interrupted i'm like buddy stop i'm not mad okay i just need the car by this weekend he's like oh, okay we'll definitely have it by this weekend i was like all right it's okay have have a great day sorry bye like, I think he thought I was just going to ream him out. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Everyone's having a tough time. All right, just get my car to be by this weekend. I don't have anything to do. I'm a romance writer. I just don't have anywhere to go. So that's that's it. But the biggest thing was just the shock that you guys had no idea what I was talking about when I talked about inspection. And now apparently I've been driving illegally for... <laughs> 20 years i, I would like, just think I don't know. It, who knows what it is that was just a very cursory drop down thing in google but speaking of cars running today we're talking about run on <laughs> no still not as good as shit not as good as, not as, good as shit. Shit. but i was trying it i was trying i'm still reaching someday someday so run on is a story about main characters from different worlds coming together doing a heck of a lot of communicating and eventually breaking down barriers around them to come together and find love this was writer park shi yun's first time as lead writer she was formerly an assistant writer for kim on sook of heirs king eternal monarch and goblin fame and someone on reddit which i know is the source of all wisdom but it did stick out to me said that if aaron sorkin ever wrote a romantic k-drama it would be run on which i thought was hilarious Hilarious, and I just wanted to throw it in there for Amy because she had some feelings about this drama. So I'd say that Park Shi Yun's debut would be considered a quiet romance. How would y'all define the term quiet to listeners? And do you like quiet stories in general? I do like quiet stories, but for me, and I, we're probably going to have different definitions of what means quiet to us, right? Like for me, a quiet romance is that there's not a big high concept external conflict going on, right? Like we're not talking like the King Eternal Monarch where it's parallel universes and doppelgangers and stuff like that. And you don't even need to know what the story is to know that that is going to be a wild ride, right? Whereas here you've got people meet, people fall in love, and that's really the story. And there's, you know, the communication aspect of it too. But the quiet 
is that there's nothing big and external kind of, you know, in flashing red lights, but that there is still an emotional connection that you make to the characters and an emotional conflict between the characters, but it doesn't have to be this big sort of external thing. And so it doesn't seem as high concept, but still can be a really strong story and still be really compelling, but it's just going to be, it's that characterization that's compelling and it's the emotional conflict that is compelling. Yeah. I mean, that's a great definition. You like said it really well. I mean, the only thing I'd add is for me, when I talk about a quiet romance, I also think it's fairly low angst which maybe isn't always true, but usually when I when I think of a quiet romance, like I'm not thinking that there's like dramatic trauma usually. No, I agree. Like, like not big trauma. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would say I am not, I don't typically as a consumer of entertainment, I don't typically gravitate towards quiet movies in general, like even if they're not romances and I don't usually read quiet romances and I don't write quiet romances. So it's, it's typically not my preferred way to go, but there are times where I do like a quiet romance. So sometimes I just want to something that's low key and maybe something that isn't going to like consume my life like i don't know like healer did like completely consume my life where i can't do anything else sometimes it's nice to just like watch one episode and then be able to go to bed at a nice hour (laughs) (laughs) so i think we talked a little while ago about internal and external conflict and for me a quiet romance would be heavily loaded on the internal and not as much on the external so for me it's not necessarily like angst like sometimes I feel like you could say quiet romances could be very weepy but I think that for me it would be that there's just not as much external conflict happening and do I like them yes and no like I always think I like them and I'm not sure if I always do I think I do like stakes more so you know I'm going to get the Nicolas Cage reference out of the way early here on the drama today. But, you know, like I don't love heavily external driven where it's just all external, 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 you know, which is what I would classify as, you know, something like a con air. <laughs> I just I had to. I'm sorry. I love that two but, weeks in a row now you are the one. To I'm bring so up proud. Nicolas Cage. Yeah. No, no. I, I purposely today was thinking about how I was going to bring in Cage. Like I actually yeah. was like, you know, I'm bringing in Nick Cage today just for fun and giggles so here it is but you know then I'm thinking about you know it's interesting because I feel like quiet can also sometimes be like by my definition of quiet shows that I've totally loved and been addicted to so I'm thinking of like Fleabag if you've seen Fleabag like there's not a ton of external that happens in Fleabag it's almost all internal which would fit to me as a definition of quiet romance but it was incredibly addictive and highly emotional agree had like a super cracked out quality so it doesn't mean like sweet and everyone drinks tea and looks at each other agree necessarily it can be it can totally be that but I prefer like no tea in my quiet romances like (laughs) (laughs) or like what were all those um like what are those like 90s classics like before sunrise and stuff like that like those are all pretty okay now you're bringing up Ethan Hawke do we want to go there I mean again I don't like Ethan Hawke Oh, not even, I, no, not even a little bit. But yeah, so that, yeah, I mean, but like. But those are classic quiet romances in my opinion. I'm sorry to earbud users or headphone users. I'm so sorry. My screech. I'm so sorry. I just, the Ethan Hawke took me out. Okay. Haven't really delved into some of our 90s debates about things like Reality Bites where Ethan Hawke. That's why she hates him. Yeah. The worst 
I mean, I just, that character. Troy Dyer is terrible. Of course, he is terrible. But I loved him then because I was 20 and dumb and had very low standards. You just had to be like a dirt ball and hot. Oh, and no, I loved no, no, you. no. That's not his good era. That is not his good no. era. Uh-uh. His no, before era... Sunrise, though, before Sunrise was amazing. Like, I loved him in that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you even see it? Yes. Okay. Uh, see, and that's where I'm thinking, like, I should like that. But then I just don't really. So I don't know. I think I don't mind a quiet romance, but like I'm particular about them because Fleabag is like in my number. Like, you know, I love Fleabag and could watch it on repeat for the rest of my life, probably. But Fleabag does have some big trauma in it. So I think that carries it better. You know, like before sunrise, it's just like, I'm American. You're French. We're never going to see each other again. We're going to spend 24 hours together, you know? Yeah. And that's where this, it just reminded me a little bit of run on, which is that like, excessive focus on talking a lot to each other for better or worse so okay well before we get into it a few friendly reminders make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen so you don't miss a single afternoon of delight episode and while you're at it leave us a five-star review as it helps with our discoverability a few of you have been doing that and we're really grateful also follow us on instagram afternoon of delight podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it on the pod book recs and behind the scenes fun and generally shameless fangirling and if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show email us at afternoon of delight podcast at gmail.com please note spoilers shall abound for run on so as you move forward proceed at your own risk so this drama made me think a lot about the nature of love and what it means to form that long-term lasting love as opposed to what we were just referencing with you know that reality bites troy dyer like dirty teenage like you know rap bag like what i thought was hot at 20 or amy might have thought at 20 you know so by the end i felt like this drama really like kind of summed up for me that fabulous raymond carver title for his short story collection what we talk about when we talk about love i really felt like that could have been another name for this drama even so so online, I found a pitch that the writer Park Shi-hyun worked up on for Run On, and I'm guessing it must have been some sort of a pitch for the show. And these are some highlights from this pitch or synopsis that I felt like shed a lot of light on her intentions with the drama. So these are her words, not mine. They are translated. So also bear that in mind. So the process of understanding love is similar to the process of translating foreign languages. Of course, translation is different from the language used in daily life. The spoken language differs depending on the person, but one thing is for sure. Each person has his or her own language. In other words, if there are 6 billion people in the world, then doesn't it mean that there are 6 billion kinds of language? Ki Seung Yum is a national track and field athlete. He lives in the world of running, where the moment he looks back means defeat. Omi Ju is a foreign film translator. She lives in a world of translation where she's always looking back, rewinding the same scene countless times. Do these people even speak the same language? Can the love of these two be interpreted to each other? The way to comfort these people who fall short in certain aspects or have something broken or lacking in them does not necessarily have to be passionate and burning. These are questions that this drama will be asking. Does comfort really have to be warm and burning only? Does love really have to be passionate? And how do we deliver these feelings, these words? Okay, so do you think Run On as a story match the writer's stated attentions above? Why or why not? And what metaphors in the drama might have stuck out to you? So I feel like I first want to address the idea of does love have to be passionate? You know, does love really have to be passionate? Does it have to be warm and burning only? And in real life, I'm going to say no, absolutely not. That's always, that's the beginning, right? That's the beginning excitement, the sort of euphoric state of love. And then as it endures, it's not always going to be passionate like that. And I totally buy that and expect that out of real world love. But when I'm watching it in a drama, I want the passion. 
And I feel like maybe that's where this fell a little bit short for me. I love the description that you just read, Leah, of her pitch. And I love the idea of paralleling the language of love with translating films to other languages. And I definitely see how the writer was attempting to do this and run on, especially with Song Young not being as expressive as Miju wanted him to be. She's a talker, and at first he is not, right? He's a runner. So there is that bit of communication barrier between the two. And the same goes, I think, for our second leads, who ended up being my favorite couple, Dana and Young Hua. And I actually think the writer drove this idea home better with the second leads, in my view. Young Hua wears his heart on his sleeve and willingly tells Dana how he feels at any given moment, where she hides behind falling in love with his art, too afraid to admit that she's falling for him because of what that means for her career. So here we have, I think, not only the language of love, but how hard it is for some to reconcile that language with how they want to project themselves personally and professionally. So... Yeah, I'll talk a lot more about the second leads and how I, I feel like this worked better for me. But I think even in this aspect of what the writer is talking about, it worked better for me with the second leads. So Leah, thank you so much for looking up that information about what Park Shihyun said, because that really makes a lot of sense. Like, I'm really glad now that I have that background on what she wanted to convey, because I do think she conveyed what she wanted to. I, though, tend to agree a little bit with Amy in that in real life, this relationship is actually one that I would want. I would want this sort of like non-toxic like slow burn nice easy relationship with like low angst but in my dramas that's kind of not why I watch dramas but if you're looking I think if this is maybe you want something a little bit more realistic then this is what you're gonna get I, um, I mean I did like the main leads and I think part of it was that it reminded me a lot of my husband and I so I'm a writer and a talker and I analyze words in a way my husband doesn't so I felt a little bit like Miju in that way because she's constantly thinking of like what words actually mean whereas my husband is similar to Sung Yum where he's like things are very black and white to him and there isn't much gray so Sung Yum is a runner and he's always moving forward and now that I hear from the writer I totally get where she was going with that because yeah Miju is always mauling over what happened and thinking of the best way to make it make sense so they're really opposites in a way they approach love but they did find common ground to then you know fall in love so i do really like those metaphors and that's interesting that that's what the writer was going for i do think she achieved it i i, I do i just still wish maybe i did wish for a little bit more passion in my k-drama so yeah i also really appreciate hearing their intention especially in terms of how we each speak our own unique language and i was thinking about how that relates to the process of falling in love and also sustaining love and i feel like a lot of that has to do with how we learn to speak another person's language and for me personally i feel like 99 percent of the fights i have with my husband aren't actually about a thing it's how we're talking about the thing. And this drama has a lot of talking, a lot of talking. And I will say that normally conversation can be really enjoyable to me to watch. And this is where I feel weird because I'm not wanting to, you know, call out the translation here. And I'm also really aware that I'm watching a show where I'm not a native Korean speaker. But I will say that that initial push of the drama, especially at the very beginning, which is the couple kind of falling in love through these long and eccentric conversations, it didn't work out for me greatly. And I think part of it was because I was missing a lot of the nuance. I, um, I, I'm sorry, I just want to add, I totally get where you're coming from. There were so many times at the beginning of the drama where I felt like I was missing something from what they were trying to say. I'm same with you. I don't want to like finger wag the translators in any sort of way. I felt like it was my failing. I wish I could knew Korean because I really did feel like I was missing 
something about what the characters were saying. Yeah, I felt like there was more happening that I just wasn't necessarily picking up on. The conversation in the second leads did tend to hold my interest more. And I still think a lot about there was a part in the drama where Dan Ah says, the only thing I'm not good at is what I don't do. (laughs) And (laughs) that really like, I feel those words a lot. Okay, so in thinking about where I felt like the translations, sometimes I was thinking it was just a me thing. I was able to find, I went into Tumblr, which I haven't been in Tumblr in a long time. But um, somebody had this whole thing in tumblr let me find their name so i can give some credit to it the tumblr is called being janie j-a-n-e-e and they did a whole thing on different nuances that kind of didn't quite get picked up on by translator like how they felt like the translations in run on sometimes didn't necessarily work but not necessarily because the translator's fault it's just it was very hard to capture what they were actually trying to say so i wanted to talk about one scene because i thought that this kind of summed up nicely where i felt like i was missing sometimes some of it so this is a scene where miju talks about waiting for seung gyan to be with her and it's pretty much translated like this miju i did well waiting for you really and then seung gyan you did really well. That's how it's like exactly translated. Like that's what they're actually saying in the drama, apparently in Korean. The translation is, I'm glad I waited. And Seung Gyeong says, you did well. So at face value, again, this seems pretty much the same. This is what I'm saying. Like it's more than just like a translation issue. But what this Tumblr poster says is that what's missing is that in the original dialogue, the word really is chum. And it's something that Korean kids at school are often told in the context of you did really well, as in better than expected. So that when Miju is said, I did well, she's kind of acknowledging how glad she is to have made this choice to wait for him. And she's acknowledging that she's proud of herself for taking the step forward. And there's this acknowledgement that like she's had this rough childhood, never grew up trusting others. So for her to wait and be vulnerable was really a big step. And then Seung Gyum, by responding with the phrase that's so well known throughout Korea for being this warm encouragement to children and loved ones, is not just affirming her growth, but also in like establishing his intent to be a more comforting presence in her life. So by saying that you did really well in that certain way that he said it using those words, it kind of does like call back to, you know, being like an elementary school student and somebody like saying to you, not in a patronizing way, but in a really like warm and encouraging way, like you did really well. Whereas when you read it and it says you did well, you're kind of like, wow, okay, that's like, <laughs> you know, it feels a little bland, but there's apparently a lot more, you know, callback to that. And we have things like that in our own culture where somebody might say something and somebody else might hear it and be like, whatever. But like for us, because we have all this backstory culturally to like what that phrase means, it means something really different. And in this case, it was a really warm and encouraging thing to say. But for me, it would have felt very like, stiff and bland so you know it's not a huge miss out as an english viewer but i think all those little misses add up and that we're not getting a lot of the subtle sweetness that was often at play and i think it kept me from connecting to some of those longer conversations as much as i would have liked totally makes sense and thank you for looking that up because that's really interesting but i totally get you know the same I had the same feeling when I was watching it that sometimes I was like I just am, I don't think I'm getting the right translation or I am getting the right translation but I from my Americanized view it's not connecting and that's when right. I like, I really wish I understood you know again it's not a misstep of the drama or the translator it's like me as a viewer not fully understanding the culture in order to appreciate it yeah and, and I think that that's a fair acknowledgement 
And I want to thank you too for looking these things up, not just this, but also the writer's pitch for it, because it does make me appreciate a little bit more what's going on here, even if it didn't work for me as an American viewer who's not getting all the subtleties here. Mm. And I think it makes me not feel better about not connecting because I wanted to connect to it, but I think it makes me more understanding of what's lacking on my end to be able to connect to a quieter drama like this, that there are nuances in the language that I'm not going to pick up on because it's not just the language, but it's the culture of the language too. And mm -hmm. I'm missing out on that. So that being all said, what was your emotional reaction watching the drama? So I think I've, I've already made this a little bit clear, but I didn't really connect as much to Miju and Sung Yum's romance as I did with the second leads. The main romance to me, I think, was too quiet. And like I was just saying, it, it is an appreciation of the talk between them, of the sincere talk between them that I think was hard for me to connect to because of all the things that we were just talking about, because of me not having that cultural connection to the language. And I think that makes a big difference. And because of that, I was hoping for more conflict. And there wasn't enough conflict for me to keep them apart and wonder, will they or won't they kind of thing. And again, I, I wanted more passion and dynamic in their personalities for me to care about this romance if there wasn't going to be this big conflict. So I was a little bit bored which I'm sorry to say, but but I was. But it wasn't that I was bored with the entire drama because then we got to Young Wah and Dan Ah's character and I was all in. Even though they still had a quiet conflict, they had what I'm calling loud personalities that clashed so well, creating the conflict of the will they or won't they that I needed. Plus King Teo's smile just wrecks me and I want to watch him emote all the time. He's so adorable. Yeah, so I wasn't head over heels in love with this drama, but from a romance writer's standpoint and just a storyteller standpoint, I did appreciate the slow burn of the main leads. And I did really like, I thought there were a lot of metaphors, you know, and I really did enjoy a lot of the discussions on translation. I liked the discussions on the philosophies of running. I enjoyed all of that. Like, there's still plenty to enjoy in the drama, in my opinion. It was actually one of the few dramas where at the very end, I could actually see the main leads like working out, like moving forward, not working out like exercise wise. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally envision them at the gym. Like, wait, doing, doing some bicep curls. Anyway, so, and I, and I, maybe that's because, so sometimes when I watch a drama and the characters have been through so much together that I almost can't picture them settling into like a normal lifestyle. Does that make sense? Like, I'm like, there's no, like, what are they going to do when they're not like running from baddies? Like, I can't picture them like actually, like, I don't know, doing mundane things like emptying the dishwasher or something like that. Sorry, that was mean, Leah. <laughs> oh, because I don't have a dishwasher. <laughs> I, just, I just said it because I had to empty the dishwasher tonight. But anyway, and I felt with this couple, like, I really felt, I, I moving forward, I, I could see them doing that. Like, I could see them just kind of settling into normal life, you know, eating together, being respectful of each other's careers. Like, I love that aspect about the drama. And I would say, though, my biggest emotional reaction was definitely the second male leads like Amy I really loved Young Hua and Dana my heart went like pitter patter for them and then ached and then kind of beat happily as well so they were definitely the ones who I don't know got my motor running <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh, whatever that's how I'm going to describe it I don't know if you've seen best in show but you're making me seem like the leads are like we like soup 
We like talking and not talking. <laughs> so I love that <laughs> Candidly, I started out in the board camp. I was trying to find conflicts to hold my interest, and I just wasn't finding anything to latch on that I cared about. I felt like the heroine's fixation on her gun felt super random. Like, I still, like, I really... It's not even a real gun. It's a gun lighter. Yeah, we just didn't need it. And I felt like I was kind of being force-fed this, like, oh, my God, look how quirky everyone is. And I was just like, oh, my God, just make this stop. Okay, so real talk. I was debating if I should disclose it, but I just feel like, you know what? If I can't be honest on a podcast, where can I be honest? I live in California where certain substances are legal. And by episode five, I was honestly unsure if I could continue because I was starting to go not just from bored to like all out hating because every time I would turn it on, I'd be like, "Ugh, nothing's happening. I hate this. So I decided, what the hell? I'm going to pop a THC gummy and just zone out. So I don't advocate drugs and K-drama, but this really, really worked for me. I felt like my brain just slowed down and I was less like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like what's happening? And I just started to like accept that like these people's lives were happening and I was just there watching it unfold. And so that night I binge watched like five episodes and I got over my hater hump. And from that point on, I truly enjoyed the drama drug free. And by the last episode, I felt like the main couple was 100% meant to be. And they had that like cozy as an LL Bean catalog in fall vibe to them. And I was genuinely happy for their journey. They <laughs> so really were sort of like cozy. Yeah, by the end when they were playing footsies and like doing their work, I was really into it. But I think I really did need to like slow all my stuff down to be like okay I'm just gonna like be and then like I said I because Amy knows like I was just like I can't I don't even know what to do I can't do this I don't think and then I went from that level of like look I would just like stop watching this one star I'm bored out of my brains to like by the end I was really into it (laughs) so there you go come to California or any other place that has legalized substances and you might find a whole new way to intersect with your uh k-dramas but not Pennsylvania because we can't, <laughs> we can't even get liquor here. Yeah, we can't even <laughs> get liquor at the grocery store here. It's legalized here, but it's it's not as easy to get as in California. Like there are very few dispensaries, and the ones that do exist tend to have lines like wrapping around the block. Because... No, this is like next to my grocery store. <laughs> Like you just pop in, like pick up some milk and some mommy little helpers. All right. Well, now it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week. Got Megan here with her K-pop rack. Okay. So I'm pretty sure if you're a fan of K-pop, you've heard of Blackpink. So Rosé, one member of Blackpink, has released a solo album. And the first song that she released is called On the Ground. And first of all, it's all in English because Rosé is pretty sure she's Australian. And I just adore this song. I love the meaning behind it because she kind of talks about how all she wanted to do in her life was get as high as possible, meaning not Leah's THC high, but, but like, you know, as far up as she could go in her success. And the song is all about how actually everything she needs, that's the, the lyrics, everything she needs is on the ground. So she's ba- kind of like talking almost about like how like she already had everything she really needed and wanted. So it's just a really good song. It's really catchy. It is really meaningful and I would check it out. So once again, that's Rosé on the ground. So now we're going to talk about kind of some of the ways we struggled with the drama. So we all struggled with this drama in different ways. So I think we're going to talk about what didn't work for us. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. (laughs) But... 
For me, what didn't work was the main leads story. You know, we talked earlier about do we need passion in romance and in real life? I need passion at the beginning, sure, when you're first falling in love, but then it levels off. But in a K-drama, I want the passion to continue. I want to wonder until the very end, are these two people going to be able to find their happily ever after, even though I know they will? That, you know, to compare it to writing romance, the rule of romance is that there has to be a happily ever after or a happily for now. So you know going into a romance novel that there is going to be a happy ending. And the challenge for the writer is to have you enjoy the journey enough to stick with it, to get to the ending that you already know is going to happen. And so for me, for this drama, I knew that they were going to end up together because I knew it was a romance drama. And I just never worried that that was going to happen. It was just too, too quiet for me. Two boring people fell in boring love and lived boringly ever after (laughs) was sadly the way that I saw the main leads. But, and I think the other thing that made me struggle so much was how capable I knew this drama was of making me care because I loved Young Wa and Dana's story so much. And I loved that couple so much. So it's not like this drama was a complete fail. And I was just like, why am I watching this? I knew that it had the potential to be really great, but it just, because the main couple didn't hook me like I wanted them to, that that's what I really struggled with. And again, going back to, you know, Leah's research that she did on the the language issue, you know, the language parallel between the language of love and the language of translation, and then the language issue for us as American viewers and not being able to catch onto the nuances of the translation, I think that was definitely a big part of it. So I'm in no way blaming, like throwing any blame here. But for me, the way that I connected to the drama was that there wasn't enough for me to care about the main leads and the will they or won't they for them to live happily ever after. I knew they would, and I just didn't care enough as to how they got there. But the second leads, I totally cared. So I think that we just sort of hung out at the starting line for way too many episodes. And I'm still like not totally sure what the inciting incident is. So in writers speak, like the definition of an inciting incident would be the first major plot point that rips the protagonist from their regular world into the journey that's going to lead to their growth. I mean, like maybe it was their meat, but I kind of feel like for the hero, his inciting incident is when he beats up the bullies who were basically destroying his friend at the gym, just like savagely beating him. And then afterwards, you know, the conflict was more like everyone wanted to act in his life that this wasn't a big deal and sweep, you know, the fact that he beat up the two bullies under the rug due to his father's political career. And the hero just spent a lot of time telling anyone in their dog who'd listen, like, I did this bad thing, punish me, I should be punished. And I guess like, well, I get that to some degree. You know, I kind of felt like, you know, those bullies deserve the beating. And I just got more and more uninvested as this kept dragging out of him being like, punish me, punish me. And I was like, what's even at stake here? Like a career that he doesn't even want? really ultimately so why do I care there was a lot of that that I felt like was happening at the beginning where like what were these stakes that were happening the stakes were really really low like you know even his relationship with his dad like you know he kept calling his dad on his bs the whole time and so I just kept feeling like all the stuff that was like the conflict like oh your career might be over he's like well I don't even really want to do that and it's like well then (laughs) okay like I guess that's fine too and I understand like I ultimately understand where it was going in like the whole arc of the drama and by the end I could appreciate that journey but I did feel like especially for those first five or six episodes I was just like 
we are just going nowhere and I don't care. It wasn't until I got to the very end and looked back that I was like, okay, I can see how that all went and I am happy with how it ultimately played out. But honestly, I would have, if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have missed getting to the end where I was happy and I would have left early on being like, look, that just wasn't for me which I don't think any of us want as writer. <laughs> right. So this is like maybe like I loved I did really love MC1. He was the guy who played Sung Yum and I liked him as an actor, but I will say he looked so young for me that it was almost hard for me to believe he was like this like late 20s national athlete. Like it was very and in real life, he is like 30. And so like, I know, but it still like blows my mind. And I kept expecting him to like come out in a school uniform and like hook up with him <laughs> back. Like, it was like, really, th- <laughs> it was like really throwing me off. But I will say he was extremely non-toxic, like based on us talking about Ryan Gold. Like, if we're going to talk about a non-toxic hero, it was this guy because he mm-hmm. was very supportive of her career, like extremely supportive. Like, he's this like super rich guy, national athlete. And when she has to travel to work as a translator on a like show set or television show set or whatever, they need a driver, just a guy who will drive around the actors. And he's like, OK, I'll come do it. I mean, you know, it's like he has like really great skills, but he, he's just willing to do whatever, whatever is going to help her. There were some really sweet scenes there, too, because she got sick and then he like helped her through it. And so I did like that aspect of it. Like there were a lot of things I really liked. I think I would say, too, that this drama definitely felt more episodic than a lot of other dramas in that there was sort of an overarching storyline. But I would say like there were almost like little conflicts that were solved each episode rather than kind of like a main big plot. Like, again, I'm watching King right now. Like, obviously that has like a massive, it's like a 16 hour movie. You know what I mean? And that's not the way run on was, which I had to get used to, but yeah, but I just had to say that about him being a really great non-toxic hero. I mean, he wasn't aggressive with her in any way. He was actually really sweet. Okay, so let's talk about the slow pacing and limited conflict. What choices did the writer make that enhanced or decreased your enjoyment? So I think I've already said this, but I will, you know, sort of reiterate that the slow burn of Dana and Young Wah worked for me because I liked both characters on their own, even when they weren't in scenes together. And that for me is what I think is really key, that I need to care about the characters independent of the romance. Otherwise, it's a miss for me. And I think maybe, you know, kind of going back to what Leah was saying about Sung Yum's, you know, conflict is that there really wasn't a conflict, you know, for his career. He didn't really want to be a runner. He only became a runner in the first place because he was running away from facing his father when he was in the hospital. And then he just kind of fell into it and he was really good at it, but he never really understood why he was doing it, which is why it was easy enough for him to quit. And I loved that he had great principles, that he wanted to be punished for, you know, for beating up the bullies because he wanted to make a statement about the violence, you know, the, the hidden violence in the sport. But overall, because there weren't enough stakes, and Leah was bringing up stakes before too, which I think is really important, because there weren't enough stakes for the main leads separate from each other along with the romance, that that's why the slow burn of it didn't work so well for me is because I was never worried about them on their own, how their lives would turn out, nor was I worried about them together. Whereas the slow burn of the second leads worked really, really well for me because I liked their separate stories as well. And so I was able to be patient and wait for their romance because I was invested in their individual stories. And so I think that's really what's key for me is that I need to be invested in those individual stories to be able to 
connect to a slow burn so that, you know, the payoff is worth it for me. So here's an aspect of the drama that I felt like was a huge miss. Over the course of the drama, we see the heroine getting into running. And I felt like that whole aspect was really underutilized. Like it could have become this real thing that she shared with the hero, what running meant in terms of her path to start looking forward more in terms of how the writer had described running to be in her intention statement as something that the hero did always looking forward. But in the end of the drama, she ultimately runs this marriage marathon finishes last the race is even over when she finally crosses the finish line so i mean there's a lot going on here that i felt like could be powerful and the heroes they're waiting for her but the whole thing just felt really flat and honestly i don't understand why it was downplayed so much like i wasn't looking for chariots of fire here but you know since we were looking at this being a quiet drama here's a moment that could have easily been around to like inject some bigger feelings and it would have still felt really authentic to the plot and i'm a person that you know i've been to plenty of races plenty of marathons not as a runner but as a participant and you know i'll sob for absolute strangers crossing the finish line and i felt nothing in the scene except writerly frustration being like why was this just not used to its full potential because again i wanted to care a lot more than i did so as we were talking, I remembered an aspect that actually I really did enjoy. So when the drama started, Dana mentions that she's a lesbian and that's why she doesn't, that's why she tells her whole family she doesn't want to get married. But you can tell she has like attraction to men also very quickly. So right away I was like squicked out. I was like, oh, I really know like that that's not a good storyline. They have her lying about being a lesbian, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to see how this plays out. And there is a kind of side plot where Young Hua's best friend is gay and has essentially like a one-sided crush on Young Hua. So I was wondering kind of what was going to happen with that storyline and how it was going to mix, you know, with Dana's whole like secret. And obviously as the drama plays on, you know, she's not lesbian. She's like following for Young Hua. And they do something really interesting at the end because she meets up with or she's at the cafe where Young Hua's friend works and she sees how he looks at Young Hua. I think she says something like, does he know? And the guy tries to play it off, but it's clear he is kind of like in love with his best friend. And I just couldn't believe that in a K-drama, this was done like on screen. She point blank looks at him and says, you know what? I made a mistake and I told everyone that I was a lesbian in order to get out of getting married. And now I realize that that is not fair to people who actually are gay and who have to experience a lot of trials and tribulations because of that. And that's something that they can't choose. But I chose to lie. And I made something that is hard for other people very trivial. And I couldn't believe that that was like done on screen. I don't even think that's I done on- I love that so much. I love yeah. that. I mean, that's not really done on American screens. I mean, because it did make her kind of a shitty person to do that. And so, meaning to lie initially. Because again, it is, it's downplaying the many people who can't be honest. But because of the position she was in, she could kind of get away with it because she was rich and owner of a company and that kind of thing. So, you know, I thought that that was a really nice choice that they addressed it on screen and she was very sincere about it and i thought it was acted well 
And, you know, I appreciated that. There was a lot of LGBTQ plus representation in the show. And some of it felt very natural. Like there's a me Jew's best friend is asexual. And she says she is. And later she even like starts dating a man. But she explains just because I'm asexual doesn't mean I can't date. She actually explains what it means. The actors on the movie set or the main actor on the on the movie set that me Jew's on. The main actor's gay and he has a boyfriend. And again, it's not made an issue. It's just that it's because they're a part of our society. <laughs> Just like everyone. And so anyway, I did. I just want to mention that on the pod because I appreciated it. It was unique to me for a K-drama. I would say there was a, there was a lot about this K-drama that didn't necessarily feel like a K-drama to me. There were, weren't as many cliches and it was quiet. And in that way, it did feel a little refreshing and new. And I kind of understood maybe a little bit more why it was on Netflix. So yeah, I just wanted to mention all that. So you're not answering the question. <laughs> no, <laughs> at all. No. That was just at, like that was just a total non sequitur. It was. I um, just want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm like, is well, she going to connect this to the slow went, burn question? <laughs> it said. It said. Wait. Wait. What was the question? It, it wasn't said, the slow burn question. It said, "Let's talk about the slow pacing and limited conflict. What choices did oh, the writer make that enhanced or whatever. decreased your well, enjoyment?" I just went with the second part of the question. That was, "What choices did the writer that's, make that enhanced?" That's right. And I love that. But it was just it was it was funny because yeah, I was I like, "Is she gonna is she gonna bring this back?" Or no, <laughs> no, I'm not bringing it back. I'm not circling back. I did want to comment on what you brought up about Dana's pretending to be a lesbian and then and then apologizing to young Wa's best friend at the end because I really did like that. And Leah and I were texting when she was in the middle of it. She's like, is she pretending to be gay? I said, yes. And it seems horrible. I said, but there is really good redemption at the end. And so I really did love that they addressed that and didn't let her just use you know, lesbianism as a shield to not get married, but that she did confess to being a shitty person for having done that. And so that was pretty monumental for me. And I'm glad, even if I didn't love this drama, I'm glad that I got to see that on the screen because like you said, it's rare even in, you know, in American television. So I was really happy to have seen that. There's definitely still scenes in K-dramas too where like men kind of rib each other like in ways that sometimes still make me feel a little uncomfortable. Like they're like, no, no, no homo, you know? And yes. And one thing too, like, it's not like the guy she apologized to, he's like one gay guy. It's not like he has the authority to like absolve her her of all her whatever, but it still felt good. I mean, it's a show. So it still felt good to have her say something, you know, that still showed that she had some character growth. For those of us watching who are like, she's pretending to be gay. Like, I don't like that. It colored my whole view of her. Right. And And I like that they acknowledged that that was not a good thing that she did. And it it was kind of a nice storyline too with the best friend and her young Hua because young Hua then found out his friend had a crush on him. And I actually kind of liked how that was resolved because it wasn't like he was like, again, ooh, no homo. He was like, oh, he hugged him. He hugged him. him. He was like, we're still besties. And I was like, you're, God, you're such a muffin. I mean, he is. He's a total muffin. Oh my God. A goober goober muffin. I love it. Yeah. And even the friend is like, it's cool. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll move on. I'll date. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, you go out and you have a good time. You date. All right. It's time for our second lead couple gush as if we haven't been doing that all throughout anyway. So what is it about a Nuna romance that is so good? So I think I really like these Nuna May, December romances because there's this horrible double standard in, you know, I think many societies where an older woman and a younger man is seen as a notable pairing. Like people notice it, call attention to it, might scoff at it. 
but nobody bats an eye when this is in the reverse. And it feels very much to me tied like viewing women's worth primarily by their breeding years. And that whole thing makes me really pukey. So when we do get a really great older woman and younger guy romance, I feel like we also get to have these great emotional journeys where the woman eventually gets to flip double birdies at societal expectations and claim what she wants for her own. So um, I'll say I agree with Leah. I think that maybe we I love it so much because it's, it is more rare. And I will say one of my favorite romance novels is called Liberating Lacey and it's by Anne Calhoun. And I'll I you. love that book. Okay. I love that book. I like I it think too. you you had me I think you it was you and Natalie, another one of our writer oh. friends who had me read that one. And I loved it. There's just so much to love. I mean, I love anything. I don't actually know if Anne Calhoun's writing anymore because I haven't seen her put anything out recently, but all her books are great. But this book is so good. First of all, it's very, very sexy. So it's an older woman and a younger man who's a cop. And it's extremely sexy, but it's sexy in a, in a very emotional way. And there's a lot of almost coming of age for both of them. It's just awesome. And sometimes I think that like Nuna romances just pair up really well. There's just something about a younger man who can appreciate a mature woman, you know, like there's just something really sexy about that. And I think that is what hit me about young Hua. He was attracted to her. And I think he was almost attracted to the fact that she was, she was so confident. Like he really loved that she was like this confident take charge woman. And that makes him sexy then as well. Yeah, I love that we've all read that book and I, I loved it so, so much. <laughs> so new to romances for me, I guess, make me feel like less of a dirty old Ajuma for thirsting, I guess, at younger men. Also, I love bucking a double standard, like Leah said. No one bats an eye when an older man has a romance with a younger woman, but it's suddenly scandalous when the roles are reversed. I don't think so. So what I loved about Dana and Young Wa is that the age really wasn't an issue at all in their romance. Like we knew that there was an age difference between them, but the age wasn't brought up as an issue. So I loved that sort of aspect of it, that we had a new to romance where it wasn't like, oh, no, I'm older than you kind of thing. I mean, she did tease him because he was a student, but his age was never an issue. It was always the fact that she's, you know, a woman and a CEO and wanting to take over, you know, the company and has to compete with her brother and stuff like that. So yeah, I just, I love the idea of a Nuna romance in general. And I love the way that it was dealt with in this drama, that the age was not ever a part of the conflict of their romance. We all agreed that this couple stole the drama. What is a favorite moment with this pair? I really loved the ending scene in episode 16 where she sees the painting that he's been working on and how he kind of snuck in a little image of her within it. And as she's looking at that, he shows up behind her and they talk. And this is after they'd broken up for like, it felt like a lot. They did break up kind of a lot. And so she tells him that she's been inside of his heart and it's radiant. And I don't know what it was, but like that just felt really authentic to me because his heart was so radiant and I just hadn't really heard of a heart described like that before. And I really felt like, you know, if anyone's heart was radiant, it was Hyung Wa's heart because he just really was a beautiful person inside and out. But I also, I mean, something I'm just curious about hearing from both of you is, do you feel like they end up together at the end? Because I felt like they did. Like I just kind of made an assumption, like it was left a little bit vague, like it had been kind of like, no. And he was like, you know, you're my first love and then walks away. But then they have this reunion. And at the end, we see them all kind of hanging out as buddies. But I mean, I've seen also online people being like, oh, it was a really sad ending for them. They didn't end up together. So I kind of took it to think that they did. 
but I was just curious what you all thought. Yeah, to me, it was an HEA. I thought that they, it was like they end up together, especially because the four of them are like having that barbecue together. And they were like, I don't even remember what was said there at the end, but all of it led me to believe, yeah, they're they're together. They're pursuing this and they're going to work it out. Is that what you thought, Amy? I don't know, actually. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was more ambiguous. Okay. Like, okay. I liked that we saw them all together at the end, but to me, it wasn't solidified that they were a couple in that scene. Because remember that Dana became friends with Miju, so mm -hmm. they could have just been there as friends, which would break my heart because I really wanted them to be together. But I don't think there was any indication that they for sure end up together. I don't think there's a clear indication that they don't either. But I do think them going their separate ways was a little bit more on the page, I guess, or on the screen, because he did say you were my first love. And they do kind of part ways. Like I expected when they saw each other at the art gallery that if they were going to be a couple that there would have been, you know, this big passionate kiss or, you know, something like that. But it was just like, there you are in my painting. I loved you. I need, <laughs> you know? I or, need them to be together because I, was, I do too. I, I, I know. shook deeply when I was like, wait, did they maybe not? And then I thought all the things you did. And I was like, I mean, I was watching this with my pure romance and I was like, oh, maybe they did. And then I'm like, look, I don't even, I don't even want to find out what the intention was because they just have to in my head. <laughs> well, yeah, they do in my head. So, well, we'll put a poll up on Instagram when this is published and you can let us know what you think. So yeah, Young Hua was just a total muffin. Like there was so much about him that was just so precious. He was so friendly, so outgoing. He would talk to anyone. He was a sweetheart. He didn't have like any money, but he would still like buy drinks. And I just, ugh, I just loved him so much. So I actually love the scene where he'd been like pursuing her and she'd been completely blowing him off, but he was really persistent. Like, I'm like, you go buddy for, because in the, in the show, he was supposed to be like 22, 23. Yeah. 24. Okay, well, either way, that's... 24 you know, and she's 30, yeah. Yeah, and he and he didn't give up. Like, he was pretty persistent. And, you know, for, you know, early to mid-20s guy, that surprised me. Or maybe he just, I don't know. Maybe that's when you're just almost too much confidence or something. But anyway, so I love the scene where she finally agrees to, like, go out with him. And he just bursts into tears. Like, blubbering mess of tears. And she's, like, panicking. Like, oh, my God, what's wrong with you? And he's just he's just so happy that he kind of can't stop crying. But he's also like a little mad at her, too, because she, she it took her so long to agree. So she's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. OK, we'll we'll go out. I'll, I'll buy you chicken. Like, she's like, please just stop crying. And <laughs> and so he, she takes him out and they're like eating chicken. And he's like still kind of upset and mad. And like he's basically pouting. And he's like, you know, the drumsticks are my favorite. And we're all at a drumsticks. And she's again like panicking. She doesn't want to get set. And she like, I love to like calls to the kitchen. She's like, he needs more drumsticks. And, like, it's just like, it was really cute because it did feel kind of gender norm role reversal to me that she was like trying to placate this. Like, it wasn't a man placating like an emotional woman. It was like a kind of more closed off woman placating like an emotional man and I because he was he just again wore his motions on his sleeve and he's just the sweetest so anyway I really liked that whole kind of idea of him being so emotional with her like bursting into tears in front of and, her and wasn't it because they kissed right like she kisses him oh that's why he burst into yes tears. he hit him because oh, right. that was their that was their first kiss but it takes him by surprise because yeah. he has been pursuing her and she's like no like I'm not gonna like no yeah and then she, and then she kisses him and he's like wait what this is amazing wait what how can you do this to me and he loses yeah. his shit and, and, I, 
<laughs> and I wonderful. loved it. I loved it because that I wrote that down as one of my favorite things about about him too is that he yeah. loses his shit from this first kiss because he's so happy, but also taken so much by surprise because she was so resistant of him, like so resistant. And then all of a sudden she's like, yeah, no, I actually kind of like you. And he's like, shit, like, do you know what you're doing to me? And so, yeah, following it up with the chicken scene was amazing. But since that was my favorite and you already said oh, sorry. it. And I, no, 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 no. I, I, I put I put another one in place because I, I knew that somebody would say that. Yeah. So that was definitely my favorite. But my second favorite from him is when he falls in her pool trying to rescue her bracelet. And he falls in the pool totally clothed because... If we're going to be thirsting after the younger Opa's here, I guess it can't even call him Opa because he's younger, but if we're going to be thirsting like we did with Namun Gi's slow, sad shower, then let's have our muffin goober heart on his sleeve, but still gorgeous and confident hero fall into a pool and then just get out with his clothes just clinging to his body. So why don't we close things out today by talking about some quiet romance book recommendations? So I had a different one, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and recommend Liberating Lacey by Anne Calhoun, which we just talked about, because it actually is a pretty slow romance. The book basically completely focuses on their relationship, and it, there's not really a whole lot of conflict kind of tearing them apart. It's mostly just them navigating their age differences and things like that and getting to know each other. She's divorced, so she's obviously has like some residual, I guess, hang a ups. little bit of yeah, hang ups because of that. And so, but it is, a, it is fairly, you know, quiet and it's beautiful. And I, again, I will warn it's very sexy. So just, just a heads up if that's not what you're into, but it's also really hot. So if you are into it, you'll really like it. So yeah, I recommend Liberating Lacey by Ann Calhoun. So for me, I am going to recommend Truly by Ruthie Knox. And this is book one in her New York trilogy series. And the premise is this very unassuming down home girl, May from Wisconsin. And she ends up in Manhattan where she relocated to be with her long distance boyfriend, who's an NFL quarterback. And she gets a proposal that's just wrong for all the reasons and ends up stabbing him with a shrimp fork on <laughs> TV. And it becomes kind of like a media sensation. But then she like storms off away from him and she's got like no phone, no cash, no friends. And she like doesn't want to go back to her ex. She just wants to get back to Wisconsin. And she ends up running into this guy named Ben at a bar. She's got enough money to buy one beer and think over what she's going to do. And she ends up connecting with this guy in the village. He's recovering from this ugly divorce where he lost his restaurant in the divorce. And he is now a beekeeper in New York City because, of course, like, why would you not be a beekeeper on like the rooftops of New York City? And so from there, there's just kind of like this sweet romance between two unlikely people that kind of spans from beekeeping in New York City to being back in Wisconsin together. <laughs> so I'm here with your weekly teen romance wreck with a quiet teen romance. I do read adult romance, but I seem to always come up with good teen ones to recommend. And this one's called Today, Tonight, Tomorrow by Rachel Lynn Solomon. And it is a sort of a whirlwind romance, but it is, it's all about the emotional aspect of it. And it is Rowan Roth and Neil McNair are our characters and they have been rivals in high school since day one for you know like valedictorian like they compete for that every single thing for grades and classes just total rivals and 
quote unquote, hate each other and like text each other like taunts and stuff like that. And the last day of school for seniors is this big sort of contest thing. I'm actually going to read because I'm, I'm terrible at remembering things that I've read lately. I'm going to read the blurb because it it's pretty fun. Today, she hates him. It's the last day of senior year. Rowan Roth and Neil McNair have been bitter rivals for all of high school, clashing on test scores, student council elections, and even gym class pull-up contests. While Rowan, who secretly wants to write romance novels, is anxious about the future, she'd love to beat her infuriating nemesis one last time. Tonight, she puts up with him. When Neil is named valedictorian, Rowan has only one chance at victory. Howl, a senior class game that takes them all over Seattle, a farewell tour of the city she loves. But after learning a group of seniors is out to get them, she and Neil reluctantly decide to team up until they're the last players left, and then they'll destroy each other. As Rowan spends more time with Neil, she realizes he's much more than the awkward linguistics nerd she sparred with for the past four years, and perhaps this boy she claims to despise might actually be the boy of her dreams tomorrow. Maybe she's already fallen for him. And it's just really sweet and fun. It is this sort of, you know, like like sort of Nick and Nora's infinite playlist where it takes place all over one night. And this idea that these two people who've known each other for the past four years don't really know each other at all. And in one night can learn so much about each other and fall in love. Hmm. I love, love, love like one night type. I mean, what's even do that? Too. Does that have a name? Like that type of writing plot? Like does that even have a name where it's like almost like in real time? You know what I mean? For like one, right. like, 24 hour time or something like that those are always i don't know i love that condensed thing you know what i mean it's fun it's fun yeah so what are we currently watching lee and i are watching the same thing right now we're watching suspicious partner and it is so fun it is not a quiet drama by any means (laughs) (laughs) total opposite which is why i think i'm digging it so much i love the leads i love the supporting characters I love the murder plot going on in the background that's basically everybody's, you know, main plot sort of revolve around. And it's really, it's all tied together so well so far. I'm a little more than halfway through. I'm on episode 25. Yep. Me too. Same episode? Same episode. Oh my gosh. I'm usually behind. I'm so excited to be caught up. (laughs) Wait, I thought you said you had five episodes left. It's 40 episodes. Oh, I thought it ended at 30. Oh, my God. Right? It's 40. It's 40. Wait, how it's 40. much more? I, I felt like we were entering the home stretch. Uh-uh. It's 40 episodes. Uh-uh. There's, I know. I told you. It's long. And there's like, because there's like multiple But it's not. But it's things. not long. Like, there are 20, 20 episode dramas that are, they're all an hour. Like, yeah. that's No, it that's is. I just, normal. I, for some reason, thought it ended at 30. Okay. So, but, thought like we were hitting at the, I was like, oh, it, I might push it tonight. Yeah, because like I said, there are a couple, there are maybe like two or three episodes where it felt draggy. But even so, it's not long. And you're still like, you still love the character so much that you're going to push through, obviously. But Oh, it's it's so super fun seeing Ji Cheng Wook as a total goober falling for someone because it's so different from Healer. And I thought I wasn't going to like him as anything but Healer, but I totally love him as the lawyer. And we're going to do a pod on this one too, right? We are. He is, he is great. And I remember, because uh, I've already seen it, and I I remember saying to you guys that I was a little worried I was going to just want him to be healer. Like, but he, I mean, he, sh- he should get be another character, but I was a little worried yeah. about it because healer was so great. But, you know, I loved him as this, like, uptight, constantly exasperated 
grumpy lawyer. I thought he played it really, really well. And the heroine's fantastic. So I'm excited to hear what you guys think when it's over. There was, and I totally get what you mean, though, because there were a couple times I was watching it. I was like, oh, it'll wrap up. And then like more stuff happens and you're like, okay. oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm watching The King, Eternal Monarch. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm enjoying it immensely like I really really am loving it I really do so it's it's parallel worlds and that's not like a spoiler <laughs> and I love it very much and I know I've talked about Chris and Ashley on this on this pod a lot but she has a series that's parallel worlds with doppelgangers and I love it I love that whole because what, what happens is these like people from like you know regular society were all of a sudden like transported to another world but people thought they were someone else because they looked exactly like a person in their world. And I love that kind of weird conflict. And so it's really neat that this is what's going on in King. So I, I immediately really, really loved it. And so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it once I'm finished because it will be a podcast. Okay, so next week we are going to do another non-deep dive. So we are going to get into villains and we're going to talk about our favorite villains or villains that we just really enjoyed, why we like them, and just really get into the nasty, nasty guys and gals of K-dramas. And I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's all this build-up and then we are all just kind of quiet, so... (laughs) Hooray. <laughs> yeah well i mean the villains are like again i think i've said this before i don't think i'm great at writing really good villains i usually just write like just pretty like they're just freaking evil okay so i i'm always really impressed when people write like a really really good villain so i can't, i'm i'm excited to talk about it next week and yeah we'll get into it then all right well then that's it for today everyone we will see you next time so let's say it Thank you for listening to Afternoona Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoona Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!